Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. And we ask that you be with us as we gather from our lives. As we come together from any chaos or anxiety. As we gather around worshiping the good news that your son has been risen from the dead. And as we continue to work out what that means in our lives. Ask that you'd be with us. Ask that you would meet us. And ask that you'd speak to us. We ask this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Easter is a season of life and resurrection. It's what we celebrate. We celebrate the good news that Jesus has come to risen, to rise from the dead, and to offer us life. It's the reason that we have white as the color to celebrate the good news of something being reborn and clean. White's the color of baptism. White is the color of celebration. And Easter is all about life. But this still forces us to, to consider some things about life. What does it look like for us to now have life? And we know that, that in somehow life is offered to us, but how is it that we grab that and understand it? How is it that we take it and grow and have our lives transformed? And those are the kinds of questions that we explore today in our gospel reading. From John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. If you want to turn there today, you can. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. It will uh, be on the screen, uh, but also in the Pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. It starts on page 1537. And as we look at this, what we're going to see is that Jesus is our source of life. So the question is, well, who and how do we receive life? And the answer is, Jesus is our source of life. So let's take a look at this together. Beginning in chapter 15, verse 1. This is how John opens up this passage. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the, is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I spoke in, to you. Remain is in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So this is uh, an important passage in Jesus' final discussion to his disciples. And when he talks with them, we have to grab a hold of a couple of things to understand this passage. So just like last week, uh, when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd... This week we see that Jesus says, I am the true vine. So what this says is something about this vine. Anything about the vine is also about Jesus. And then also in this story, his father is the gardener. So we have a second character, his father. And then he has the branches. And the branches of the vine are what grows from the vine and produces fruit. So what's in mind here is a grapevine. Which in the ancient Near or not in the ancient Near East, but in Palestine, grapevines are everywhere. It's one of the things that they have. And a lot of people would have vines. And 
vines required work. So you had to trim them. You had to uh, make sure that the fruitful branches were prepared and the unfruitful branches were removed so that all of the nutrients could go to the branches that needed it. And this is the image that Jesus uses. So as we read, he says that his father's role as the gardener is to care for the branches attached to him. The branches that bear fruit are pruned and the branches that do not bear fruit are removed. Now what's the take home from the story? It's that no branch from this vine can bear fruit on its own. It must be connected to the vine, the source of life. So right off the bat, we get the idea Jesus wants to see. Jesus is our source of life. We only connect, or we only have life when we're connected to him. Now this is important for us to see. Because the Christian message isn't about what we do. isn't about the things we do or the people that we are. It's about being connected to the vine. That's what Christianity is about. It's about being connected to the vine. The vine, Jesus, is our source of life. Now the question then becomes, well, how is it that we're connected to the vine? This is the question. How do we connect ourselves to the vine? And the way that it talks about it in this is how do we dwell in the vine? Or remain in the vine? And the answer is we remain in the vine through giving our allegiance and obedience to Jesus. And because we'd say, okay, Jesus, we're going to follow you, follow the way of Jesus, he says, you receive life, because Jesus is our source of life. But there's more than just this. Look at verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So again, it's about being connected to Jesus, not just to receive life, but to receive life and grow fruit. The point of a vine is not to look pretty. The point of a vine is to produce fruit that is then used either to make wine or for some other purpose. The fruit that is bared by the branches is pruned so they can receive more life. And also the fruit of the branches that don't reduce fruit eventually are removed. Now this image, remember, was, is within the context of the story. So what is it you do with Grape branches that don't produce fruit. Well, you can't use them for anything else. If those branches are dead, you can't use them for timber. You can't use them for anything except for starting a fire. So the image here is just that the branches that are not usable have to be removed. The image that we're seeing is that those who follow Jesus are expected to be fruitful. And eventually, if we're not fruitful... 
Are we actually connected to the vine and receiving nutrients? And eventually, if we're not connected to the vine, we wither. Because Jesus is our source of life. And he gives us this life so that we can produce fruit in our lives. Now this is all good, but there's still the big question of what does it look like to produce fruit? What is fruit in our lives? To answer this question, we get a turn again to the Gospel of John. So if we look up here, John's going to give us this idea of what does it look like to produce fruit. He says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God has shown us his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as an anointing sacrifice for our sins. It's not easy to just jump into this passage. But when we jump, what we see is that what John is actually doing here is he's taking this idea that Jesus says, I am the true vine and I give you life. And John wrote the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is all about life and light. But now John is taking in a letter that he's written to early Christians. And he's saying, okay, what does it look like to have life in Jesus? And what he identifies is, it's about love. He says, love is what gives us life. And it's clear that this is the idea he has. Because he says, and we just read it here in verse 9. You can go back to verse 9. That God showed us his love because he sent his son into the world that we might live through him. Love was the reason that God did that because love is a source of life. And we also get a picture of what love is. Love is sacrifice. Jesus is our source of life. And what is the life that he shares with us? He shares with us love. And then this is what John says next in verse 11. He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So now we're getting a glimpse of the fruit. What is the fruit of the people of God? Just as God has loved us, we too should love one another. And look, John even says, look, no one can see God, but they can experience God through you. So when you love, you are showing God to the world. Israel is to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. To take love to the world. The other word that we've been using for this is the word koinonia. Presence with God is being in God's love. Fellowship with God is being in God's love. The way of Jesus is about being in God's love. Jesus is our source of life. And this is how John sums it up in verse 19. He says, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, 
cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. Because God first loved us, we are able to live. But we can't love God unless we're loving other people. Loving God is also about loving our brothers and sisters. So I want us to, to grab what's really going on here. Because this is the center of the Christian message. And it's so hard for us to grab. We have so many things that fly around in our heads of what we think it looks like to follow Jesus. But this is the heart of it right here. If we read this, and I've said this before, and so I want you to now see it. Now this is what's so hard about reading the Bible. Because you have to take one idea from one author, and then you have to see it in another author. They might not say it exactly the same way. But this exact message is actually on the walls of our building right now. The idea that if you're going to love God, you love others, and you can't love others without loving God. And it's right here on the Ten Commandments. And I've said it to us so many times. The first four, and then the fifth in the middle is the connection about how do we love God. And then over here, how do we live as a nation who loves one another? Over here is the other five. Then how does Jesus say this? He says, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says this. The second is this. To love your neighbor as yourself. The great two commandments. As I've called it before, not myself, but someone named Scott McKnight has written a whole book on it. It's called the Jesus Creed. This is what John says it looks like to follow the way of Jesus and to find life in Jesus. It's called loving God and loving others. Jesus is our source of life, and that life is love. And if we're going to remain in Jesus, we're going to be connected to the vine, we have to first give our allegiance to Jesus. And I use that language intentionally because we associate that language with other things. But Jesus says, I want you to give me all of your life and follow me. And what is that actually? That is love. That is what it looks like to love God. It's to give all of your life to him. And what that does is it empowers us to love others. What we need to first see here, and this is so important, this is how we define love. There's so many different ways that love is defined in the world today. But right here is how the world of the Bible, the story of God, defines love. Love is allegiance to Jesus. It's being committed to him first. Christianity is not about doing certain things. It's not about keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not about doing anything. It's about loving Jesus and following him. 
That's our first commitment. And what is it that Jesus did to show us about love? He offered himself first. So right there, that's what love is about. Love is about self-sacrifice. And it starts with the question, are we going to give up our life, however we see it, and place our life into the life of Jesus? That's the very first thing we have to do. We sacrifice ourself to follow him. That's loving God. And then we're empowered to love others. And that's how the Bible defines love. Placing ourselves in Jesus and sacrificing our life for others. One way I think about it is it's usually safe to say the one thing that you want to hold on to the most is probably the thing that you need to give up when you're following Jesus. I mean, there's the one story we all have heard of the young rich ruler who says, I've done everything in keeping the commandments. And he says to Jesus, what do I need to do to follow you? And Jesus says, all you need to do is sell everything you have and follow me. And that's the one thing that the man said, I cannot do that. The thing we hold on to the most is probably the thing we need to give up when it comes to following Jesus. Because following Jesus is about sacrificing ourselves to become a part of the work of God. Because Jesus is our source of life. And the more that we submit our lives to him and give over to him our life, the more that we begin to love those around us. And this is where it doesn't make sense. But this is the true mission of the people of God. It's that we give ourselves to God and he shapes us into a group of people who live the way he's called us to live. And at the center of that is self-sacrificial love. So the second idea we need to grab a hold of is that the things that Jesus wants us to do, whether that's caring for others, whether that's being generous with what we have, whether it's helping the poor, Anything he wants us to do. We don't do it because that's a good thing to do. That's what charity is. Charity is doing something because it's the right thing to do. That's how our culture defines what is good and what's not good. Christianity is not about charity. It's about self-sacrificial love. Because Jesus has so deeply loved us that he gave his life to us, he's invited us to follow him and do the same for those around us. Jesus is our source of life. And the more that we live in his love and live the way of Jesus, the more that we share his love with others. Now, our Acts reading today, which we're not going to actually look at. Don't worry, I'm not going to put it up there and read it. I'm sure sometimes everyone starts to get stressed out whenever you think, oh, there's three passages and they're all showing up in the sermon. Only a couple more weeks of Easter. <laughs> but when this story from Acts... Uh, Philip, this character who, if you actually follow Philip earlier, he's just a guy who's chosen to deal with the widows because the apostles don't want to deal with them. They're like, we're too important to care for the people about food. So they pick a bunch of people and say, okay, you're going to make sure they get the money, the food they need. And all of a sudden, it's Philip who is the one who starts to do the work of the apostles. He starts to preach the gospel. And then eventually he gets called away to this place 
to this eunuch who is from Ethiopia. Now, we think of Ethiopia, we think about the country of Ethiopia. That is not the, what the word re- referred to in the first century. It referred to the region south of Egypt. So he was most certainly dark-skinned, but he was not uh, from the actual country of Ethiopia today. That's just something, I mean, it's not that important, but that's not what they referred to. But there's this character who's a non-Jew, the first non-Jewish convert to Christianity. And on top of that, he's a eunuch, uh, and and Jews were not fond of eunuchs because of, uh, for one because they had been sterilized, they were not able to produce children. And they viewed that as not the ideal way to produce family, which was the goal of, part of the call of the commandment was to, you know, be fruitful and multiply. So this man is clearly interested in Judaism, but because of his status as a eunuch, he is not even able to enter the, in the temple. But this is one of the first non-Christians, and certainly the first non-Christian in Scripture, to be converted to the way of Jesus. So we see both sides of the spectrum about producing fruit. Jesus is our source of life and he expects us to produce fruit. Philip responds to the call of the Holy Spirit. He is led to this man who he then teaches the gospel to from the scriptures of Isaiah. And then the man, the flip side, this eunuch, is the flip of the response. Philip is being faithful to the call of being fruitful. The eunuch is being faithful to the call of responding to Jesus. Respond in his love and love him. The eunuch is baptized. Respond in love and share with others the love of God. Jesus is our source of life. So what we must not forget today is that Jesus is the true vine. Only branches connected to the vine receive life. And only branches that produce fruit continue to be pruned. And what is it that we produce? What is it that's the source of that life? It's love. And what does the fruit reproduce? The fruit reproduce is love to others. But most centrally, as we see here, The love is not just about, again, helping people. The love is about calling people to return to God. Sharing the good news of the gospel and saying Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures. He is the true king of the world. He has come to die for you. To set you free from sin and death. So you can be with him and his father. So you can return to their presence. So you can return to the garden. Jesus is our source of life. Life comes from dwelling in him. We dwell in him when we follow him. And when we follow him, what is the life that we receive? It's love. And what is this love like? It's self-sacrificial love. Giving our life to Jesus is about sacrificing ourselves for others to follow him. And why is it that we love? Well, we love because he first loved us. But the goal isn't just to be nice people. The goal is to be so 
radically different. That people say, what in the world is going on with you? I want to be like that. And then you get to tell them, it's because I follow this guy named Jesus. And they say, I want that life too. And you get to say, great, let me show you Jesus. Because Jesus is our source of life. We would receive life from him and we are called to share it with others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we look at this message from your son that the Apostle John recorded. This cryptic story about a vine and a gardener and branches. As we think about it, what Jesus wanted his disciples to hear was, stick with me so I can show you life. And so I can produce in you the fruit of the kingdom. And there's this warning in the background about the Father. But may we remember that the way that God tends to deal with those people is he simply lets them choose what they want. And the natural results of rejecting the way of Jesus is withering and dying. But Jesus doesn't want that for anyone. He wants us to follow him. And that's where all of us come in, Heavenly Father, is we're your people following your son. We get to share your love with others and hope that that love spreads throughout the world in a way that your kingdom grows. We ask that you empower us to do that. We ask that your spirit would be working in the lives of people to transform their hearts, to return to you, to receive life, and to continue the radical self-sacrifice of the good news of the kingdom of God. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.